You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. What a special time in God's presence. And as we continue, uh, we need to do a little check here this morning, see if you've brought the proper equipment. How many of you brought the equipment this morning? Okay, hold those Bibles up. I want to see the Bible check in church, Bible check in... Who's got the biggest Bible? Who's got... Anybody bring the family Bible this morning? Hold your Bible up if you think you have the biggest one. Nick, hold that Bible up. Yeah, that qualifies. That's good right there. Good job. Let's get those Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 5. How many of you held up a phone? That's all right. Open your app. Open your app. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5 here this morning, and we're just rejoicing in all the Lord is doing in building his church. Last week, I gathered and was able to minister to our newly opened campus in St. Joseph, Michigan. Anybody wonder how many people showed up? Did you know that as we opened those doors, 250 people walked in those doors to worship there in St. Joseph? That brought back so many memories being on a gym floor and sitting in brown folding metal chairs. And and, um, it also reminded me, do you know how many people showed up on the very first Sunday in 2009 when we opened the doors of Harvest Granger? Exactly 250 people. And uh, we didn't make those numbers up. They just, God just did it. So we're rejoicing in all the Lord is doing there And uh, here we are this morning, our church is getting bigger, and for that reason, we have intentionally chosen this theme for the year. That theme is what? Deeper. The Lord is growing His church. He's making it bigger. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to go deeper, and so as a church and as an individual, that's what we're going after. We want to get out of the shallow end into the deep end. Uh, get out of the hot tub, relaxing and enjoying all that, and we want to be contributors, and we want to draw near to the heart of God, and uh, if we're going deeper individually and as a church, you understand we must go deeper in the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible, the Scripture that you're holding in your hand is the tip of the spear. If we're going any further in our depth with the Lord, it's going to be because we go deeper into the Word of God. So let's read here in Hebrews chapter 5. Apparently, there was an issue of depth and shallowness in the early church because the writer of Hebrews says this beginning in verse 11. About this, we have much to say. Pause. You realize I just started right in the middle of a dialogue, right? So what is he talking about? What is the this that he's talking about? Well, if you were to read back up in the previous verses in Hebrews chapter 5, don't take time to do that now, but it's talking about some of the deepest teachings in the scripture. He's using the analogy of this Old Testament priest, Melchizedek. Everybody say Melchizedek. You want to impress your friends this week? Just use the word Melchizedek in any sentence and they will be impressed uh, with your Bible fat-headedness, okay? So Melchizedek was this Old Testament picture that God wanted to use as a picture for the high priestly office of King Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews is explaining these deep things about these deep symbols and pictures and cryptic things in the Old Testament. It's all because God wanted us to go deeper in our understanding of who Jesus 
Jesus is. But the writer of Hebrew pauses and says, wait, 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 about this, we have much to say. How many of you understand that we preachers have much to say? about deep things, right? And uh, we do, we have a lot to say, but there's a problem. He says, about this, we have much to say. It is, a, it is hard to explain. Do you understand that the things that we look, preachers have to explain are hard to explain? Do you know why they're hard to explain? Because of what he says next. Um, they're hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Uh, you see, it's really not all that hard to explain to people who want to hear it, who want to go deeper with God. The problem is, is a lot of people just kinda wanna play in the kiddie pool and stay in the shallow end, and it makes our jobs as those who have surrendered our lives to explain the scriptures, it makes our job hard when the people that are listening have dull ears, and so that was a problem in those days. Verse 12 says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Just underline that three-word phrase, the word of righteousness. We want to go deeper in the word of righteousness this morning. We're gonna explain what that is. And... Uh, He's unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So what is this word of righteousness? Let's explain it a little bit and just kind of, let me explain, hopefully it's not too hard to explain, what you're holding in your hands, this word of righteousness. What you have in your hands is the self-disclosure of a transcendent God. What you have in your hands is the intentional revelation from God who is not like you to people that are human like you. Humans have language, they have ears. God's given us the ability to communicate and to receive communication. So God, as an act of his grace, has chosen, because of his great love for you, he wants you to know some things about him. He has not given us all knowledge of who he is, but there are a few things that God wants us to know, and so what you're holding in your hands is an accurate revelation and communication and self-disclosure of the will and the ways of God. It's the word of righteousness, and as we go deeper in the word, do you know what happens? We go deeper in righteousness. And what you're holding in your hand is what we would call a divine human book. The Bible was written by human authors, divinely inspired so that what those human authors wrote completely and accurately communicated what God wanted us to know. The Bible was written by over 40 different human authors over a period of 1,500 years, 
It was written in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. How, how are you doing in those classes, by the way, in school? Um, are, are you glad for some scholars that actually know those languages and know our language and can translate that? And so this morning, most of you, probably all of you are holding an English translation of those three languages that the Bible was written in. Those 40 authors who wrote in three languages were on three different continents, and yet with all of that, what we hold in our hands this morning communicates one story. Do you like a good story? Do you like a good story? I, uh, there's a phenomena that happens when I go back to Alabama where my wife is from and I sit at Thanksgiving or at Christmas at the family dining room table and Andrea's sister is there and her brother is there and her dad is there and they begin to do what the Green family does at Thanksgiving. They begin to tell the same story that I heard last Thanksgiving and the Thanksgiving before that. And for what now has become 21 Thanksgivings, the same story. And what is amazing to me is these people will laugh and cackle and carry on like it is the first time they have ever heard this story. Quite honestly, I'm sitting back there and I'm like, I know what happens next. The, the car goes in the ditch, the, you know, the, Andrea's sister licks the frog, and they tell the same story every year, and, and they're just, they're crying, laughing, belly laughs, and they're going on and on in detail, but it's the same story every year, and I sit back and like, this is, this story's gotten really old to me, and yet they're experiencing it in a way that I am not experiencing it. Why can I not experience it the way that they experience it? Answer, I wasn't there. I'm not in the story. There are no stories about me doing anything in interaction with them. Now I've become a part of the story because they tell, look at Trent down there at the end of the table. He's mad, he wishes he could go watch football or something, you know? Yeah, because I'm not in the story. And you say, well, why don't you tell some of your own stories? I don't have any stories because I don't have any brothers and I don't have any sisters. Our family, we got together for Thanksgiving. We ate turkey and watched football and that's, that was our Thanksgiving. So, so some of you, how many of you have some of those old stories that you tell over and over and over? For some reason, they're as fresh and as real as they were the first time they were, stole, they were told. Well, that is what so many people need to experience again when they come to the Bible. For so many of us, the Bible has become just an old story because you don't understand you are in the story. The Bible that was written so many centuries ago tells the story not only of Jesus, it tells the story of you and me. We're in the story. The Bible's a divine, divine human book. Here's a scripture to introduce us to that. Second Peter chapter one, verse 16 says, for we, the human authors, did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. And he tells the story of how Jesus was transfigured 
and the glory spilled out. This is a human author, Peter, that had eyes to see that and he's writing for us the story because he was there, but he's telling it in a way so that you and I understand it is the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For some of us, it's, it's like we've heard the story so often. I mean, we know the story of, of Jonah and the whale and Noah and the ark and Jesus walking on the water. For some of us, it's just like, yeah, okay, we know he makes it across. We know he, he dies, but we know the end of the story he comes out of the tomb. For some of you, it's like it would be a little more suspenseful if this time Jesus sank and somehow he, then he split the waters. It's like if he could just have a different ending this time. You've heard the story so often. But understand, it's to be fresh and to be real. It's real stories that tell our story. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God. So we understand that the story of the Bible is inspired. That means that it's breathed out. It is a God-breathed story in the same way that you're hearing words come out of my mouth because there is breath being pushed out of my lungs over my vocal cords and through my tongue and my lips forming words. God wants us to know that is the process by which God wrote the Bible. It was his breath coming out, forming words, so that our ears could know the will and the ways of God. And so the Bible is inspired. Not only is it inspired, God's word is true. The Bible is true. Jesus praying to his Father in John 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Well, where do we get that? Oh, your word is truth. And so when we read the Bible, we understand that it's true. The miracles are true. The oracles are true. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. And the creation that God made by speaking it into existence, it's all true. And it gives us something to anchor our lives in. It's true. And so whatever competes against it, whatever contradicts it, we must receive not as truth, but as a lie. Because the Bible is the standard by which we measure all claims to truth. And so John 17 tells us that. Hebrews chapter four tells us not only is the Bible inspired, not only is the Bible true, the Bible is alive. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Bible is like a surgeon's scalpel, and it divides between soul and spirit. How hard is it to distinguish what soul and what spirits? That's 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 pretty intimate relationship there. And it divides between joints and marrow, but most importantly, what we understand is it discerns the real thoughts and the real intentions of my heart. And sometimes coming to church and opening your Bible is kind of like open heart surgery. God has to peel away the surface and get down to where the cancer lives and cut it out. So the Bible is inspired, the Bible is true, and the Bible is alive, and it's working right now, and all of that 
tells us that the Bible is authoritative. When I come and I open my life up to God's word, I put myself under its authority. We've looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God, but then he goes on and tells us how authoritative God's word is when he says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Now, if you're only interested in being taught but not reproved or corrected, then you're not putting yourself under the authority of God's word. And when you do that, do you know what you become? You become a Christian that is stuck in the shallow end of your Christian existence. If you're gonna go deeper, not only do you need to be taught, you need to be reproved, and you need to be corrected, and you need to be trained in righteousness. So what was the problem here in Hebrews chapter four that this author is trying to address? Well, the first thing that he understood is they had dull ears, and so if you're gonna go deeper in God's word, what are we gonna need? You're gonna need sharper ears. Sharper ears are a necessity if you're going to go deeper. You see, shallow Christians read the Bible, Deep Christians allow the Bible to read them. Shallow Christians reduce the Bible to just a list of do's and don'ts. But deep Christians understand the principles behind the do's and the don'ts. And deep Christians do and don't because they understand the life-giving principle underneath the do and the don't. Shallow Christians read the Bible like a self-help book. Maybe you get up every morning like, man, I'm gonna find something to inspire me today. Let me, let me see if I can find something to give me a little charge and a little lift in my step. But a deep Christian reads the Bible like it is a real life drama. And they know the hero and they know the villain. And most importantly, they know the author and they see themselves in the story. Shallow Christians read the Bible because um, uh, shallow Christians are bored with the Bible because they know how the story ends. But deep Christians know the story never gets old because they see the truth underneath the truth that they're reading. This week I listened to a message by uh, Greg Gilbert. He gave this message at uh, Cedarville University and he was challenging these Christian students, these Christian college students not to be bored with the Bible. He was trying to help them understand and this is what he said to them. He says, when you start reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you're reading a story that has a grand narrative that is moving from beginning to end. Theologians like to call this the meta-narrative of the Bible, understanding the Bible only has one story, whether I'm reading about creation, whether I'm reading about Jonah, whether I'm reading about David, or whether I'm reading about the cross, or whether I'm reading about the book of, Reve- in the Reve- book of Revelation, about the end times, it's only telling me one story. It's the grand meta-narrative. Greg Gilbert says, it's a story of powerful kings, destroyed hopes, and crowns cast to the ground. 
and then reclaimed with swords falling from bloody hands and then being picked up by another royal hand to finish what was started. It's a story of bony-fingered prophets pointing through time while city walls crash to the ground and gates are smashed and temples are burned to the ground. It's a story of clashing kingdoms, shattered covenants, treason, rebellion, curses, and promises. It's a story rich with cryptic symbols that don't mean anything in the beginning, but then over centuries expand and explode in meeting until they all swirl together and rest finally on one man, a carpenter in Nazareth named Jesus, who one day is building houses and maybe ships, and he's working with his father Joseph, and the next day he's riding into his nation's ancient capital city and laying claim to a crown and a throne that hasn't even existed for 600 years. Does that sound like a story that you could get wrapped up in? And yet for so long, you've been bored with the story because your ears have been dull. The story goes on. After Jesus rode into that ancient capital city, a week later he was betrayed by a friend. He was sentenced to an unjust death. He was hung on a cross where he bled out for people that he loved. He was laid in a tomb. Three days later, the dead man was walking. That's a popular story, dead men walking in our day. And they make, they make movies about that now, right? And here's a dead man walking and now establishing a movement that spreads across the world. And here we are, 2,000 years later, telling the same story, and you showed up to listen to it. Are you bored with the Bible? Or do you have sharp ears leaning in, saying, that's what I'm wrapping my life around. Don't be bored with the Bible, and don't let your ears get dull. I remember years ago, I, Andrew and I, we, we bought our first home. Actually, we bought a piece of dirt, and we built a home on this piece of dirt, and the problem with the dirt was that it was full of trees. And so the first thing I spent money on building this house was a chainsaw. And I went to the store and I bought the mother of all chainsaws. I mean, because I mean, there was just trees everywhere. I had to cut these trees and pull the roots out and all the different things. So I got out there and started cutting these trees. And I got like halfway through my first tree and I noticed there's smoke coming from the tree. And I'm not making a lot of progress. And the chain has gotten dull already. And I'm like, this is a dumb chainsaw or a dumb tree. Turns out it was a dumb operator. Took it back to the store and I said, this chainsaw doesn't work. The blade's already worn out. It's burning the tree. It's not cutting the tree. They said, did you put oil on the chain? You're supposed to put oil on the chain? <laughs> yeah, because that, that reduces the friction so that the chain doesn't get dull too soon. In the scripture, do you understand that oil represents the ministry of the Holy Spirit? If you're trying to read the Bible without understanding it's the oil of the Holy Spirit that illuminates the Bible to my ears so that I find myself in the story. If you haven't found yourself in the story, you're just gonna, like that chain, get dull of hearing. 
You need sharper ears if you're gonna go deeper into God's word. These people had failed to be convinced of their shallowness. These people had failed to be amazed at God's grace. They weren't singing, Lord, I'm amazed at you. They were just kind of mumbling, Lord, I'm kind of bored with you. I wish something exciting would happen in my life. They failed to see the importance of the cross as the central moment in human history. And they failed to be moved to action when they heard about something as complicated and as cryptic as this symbol of Melchizedek in the Old Testament. I'm not gonna take time to try to explain all that to you because it's hard to explain if your ears are dull. But it's a, a rich symbol, and if you're gonna understand those symbols, you have to have sharper ears. Not only sharper ears, we have to have bigger vision. Look here in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need somebody to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Don't you love that phrase? If you're a shallow Christian, that really ought to throw you for a loop. Basic principles of the oracles of God. Does that seem a little contradictory? Oracles don't seem basic, do they? But the oracles is just simply the communication of who God is and what he is like and how you can have relationship with him. Basic principles. Do you know what the basic principles are? We talk about them all the time. If I just kind of asked you, could you tell me in four sentences the story of the Bible? Would you be able to say that? I think I could do it in four words. Here it is. Creation, fall, redemption, recreation. Do you get it? That's the grand meta-narrative of scripture. To make it more personal, we would say it like this. God is holy, man is sinful, Christ is savior, repent and believe. And once you have repented and believed, then what do you do? Um, Re-repent and re-believe every time you hear the story. That's what we do when we come and put our lives under the teaching of the Bible. And understanding the moment in history where the vertical revelation of God dealt with the horizontal problem of man on the cross, what happened on the cross. Here is the basic principle of the oracle of the cross. Here it is. Jesus died on a cross in my place as a substitute for my sin. That is the basic principles of the oracles of God. That's the gospel. Do you know that story? Some of you have heard that story and know that story and have that story drilled down into your hearts and you know scriptures because you've memorized parts of it. The question is this, not do you know it, do you have a big enough vision to teach it? By this time, you ought to be teachers of the basic principles of the oracles of God. Right now, we have a shortage of people who are willing to teach that principle. 
and those principles in the context of our small group ministries. We have people that ought to be teaching and instead all you're doing is coming and getting taught. By this time, come on. You ought to be teachers. And the bigger problem is, is the church, not, not people that should be teachers and can't teach, but people that should be teachers and won't teach. What's wrong with you? Do you not have enough vision to see that the Bible knowledge that you have is not just given to you for you? It is to be shared with others. And by this time, come on, you ought to be teachers, as it says here in verse 12. Have a bigger vision than just to glean more Bible knowledge when you come to church. Not only a bigger vision, but a stronger appetite. If you're gonna go deeper this year, you're gonna need a stronger appetite. At the end of verse 12, he says, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. In 1 Corinthians chapter three, the apostle Paul said it this way, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready for it. How many of you have children? Raise your hand. How many many remember when they were babies? And uh, you, you, you remember the process of trying to get food in them? Do you remember this disgusting process of trying to train them to eat. First of all, you, you, you had to give them milk and then eventually if they graduated to something a little more solid, you, you, you got the little Gerber baby jars. You remember, how many of you remember the Gerber baby jars and you had the rubber spoon and you had to go down there and you had to get them to open up their mouth wide enough to stick it in there and then half of it got in there and half of it got up their nose and it's on their ears and and then what do they do? So grateful that you're feeding them, what do they do with it? They spit it back at you. Do you understand that that sometimes is what it's like in church when I'm preaching? What I do is prepare a meal. I have spent my week, I don't know how you spent your week, the way I spent my week was preparing a meal for you and trying to put it in a way, smash it down and refine it in a way that it actually gets in there, right? A couple of weeks ago I was walking through Walmart or something and I saw one of these, I'm like, what is that? Do you know what these are? This is like the new generation of baby food. And it's like, you don't even have to have a spoon anymore. Apparently, you just kind of open the mouth and just kind of squirt it in there. And like, I don't know. But I was looking at this. This is green bean pear and pea. God bless the mother that would try to feed a child (laughs) peas and pears and all of that. But it's a veggie fruit blend and salba and super chai and 800 omega-3. And you're just trying to shove it down in there, right? Well, listen. If you're a baby Christian, an infant Christian, it's okay to be fed milk. You need the milk. But if you're one, two, three, if you're 10 years old and you're still sucking on one of these as a Christian, grow up. There is steak and shrimp available. 
for the mature. And so you should go deeper and have a greater appetite for something other than milk. I, uh, I brought my shovel here this morning. Some people think that, you know, the way I'm gonna go deeper this year is I'm gonna, I'm gonna get kind of this big spiritual backhoe and I'm just gonna just dig this, dig this big trench. It's all gonna happen in this one moment. If I could just get this one spiritual truth down. Listen, that is not the way it works. The way you go deeper is by picking up the same shovel every day and just going right back to the same hole and just digging a little deeper just to find what would God have to say to me today? Maybe to be reminded of something that I know in my head but it's not yet reached a deep place in my heart. It's just going back to the same hole, putting the shovel in the ground one more time. You need a greater appetite it never gets old and it never gets boring. You need better skills. Finally here in verse 13, he says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child, but solid food is for the mature and for those who have the powers of discernment. Let's stop right there. Better skills. Here's, here's a skill. The powers of discernment. That sounds like a Marvel comic. The powers of discernment, like Spider-Man, you know, to have some superpower here. Well, there is a spiritual power in discernment to distinguish between right and wrong. But here's another skill. He says, trained by constant practice over and over and over and over again. If you were an athlete, because I'm looking around, I don't see any, but if you were one at one time, you know the way that you got better was you practice the skills. If you needed to become a better free throw shooter, what'd you have to do every day? Have to shoot the same ball through the same hoop over and over and you did it. You spent hours doing it because you wanted to get better. Why do you think that going deeper with God is going to require less effort than it would for you to become a better athlete. There are skills. It's just grabbing the shovel and going right back to the same hole and doing it over and over and over again. It's constant practice that gets you to a deeper place. And it's okay to use the right tools. I brought some of my favorite tools here this morning and for the risk of turning this sermon into an infomercial, let me just tell you, if you're going to go deeper, you need some tools. I would say the greatest tool available for any Christian is this tool. This is my favorite tool. This is called the ESV Study Bible. How many of you have one of these? Hold up the CSV study Bibles. Hold them up. I know it, it's a good workout too. And you can build your biceps on the E. Listen, the re, this, this, is not, this is not an inspired book. The top half of the page is the inspired book. The bottom half of the page is the uninspired book. But it's written by guys that believe the top half of the page. 
and some scholars that have gone deeper and further and all they do is read scripture and they understand the original language. And, and if you wanna go deeper and understand parts of the word that have been a mystery to you, you need this tool. You say, oh, it's, it's kind of expensive. I don't know, it's like 50 bucks. Oh, on the back here it says 48 bucks. We've got some of these out in the, in the, the resource center out there. And I'm telling you, this is like a theological library bound together in one place. It's not just notes about verses. There's a systematic theology in the back of it. It deals with, with biblical ethics and things that we deal with right now. It, it, and, and this is right in line with who we are as a church. If you want the biggest bang for the buck, get this. And the best thing about this whole thing is if you buy this, you get the online access to the app. You carry around all of this on your phone. Okay, so that's, if you don't have one of these, I don't know how you can even call yourself a Christian. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was a little strong, but you got, I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, it, if you don't, if you don't have a desire to have some tools to understand to go deeper, I mean, you, you, you need something like that. And that's not the only tool. There's a lot of great study Bibles out there, but that's the one I highly recommend. If you wanna go a little deeper, here's a book that, that I just was reading. I, I quoted Greg Gilbert earlier that was preaching in the Cedarville Chapel. He's written this short little book. I mean, if that one's a little too thick for you, you could start with this. I like short books. I'm short. I have a short attention span. I like short books. Why I trust the Bible. I'm gonna put a link to all of these out on our webpage and you can go and look. The, the youth group this year went through a basic hermeneutic, big word, impress your friends, and just how to interpret parts of the Bible so that you're not taking them out of context. The youth group went through this book, Dig Deeper. My son Zach went through this book in his first year of college and yet it's a short book and it's written in a fun way and it's just a tool to understand, am I reading before, I'm reading in this part of my Bible here, is that before Jesus died or is that after Jesus died or is Jesus about to die or is it even talking about Jesus? And you can find some tools there. Here is one that I would, it's one of my favorite books. It's called Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks is one of the most renowned Bible teachers in, in such a, he takes complex things and makes them simple. How many of you appreciate people that do that? I'm a person that takes simple things and makes them complex. I like the guys that do it the other way around. And this is, this is just a great book just to help you to understand how to grasp parts of the Bible. Um, here's another one. This one absolutely changed my life. I didn't get the big meta-narrative, big picture cover to cover one story until I read something by Graham Goldsworthy called According to Plan. He's got another one like that on preaching. And so those uh, is, are out there. Some of you just need to, like, to get back to the same hole every day. You just need a book that says, today read this, right? And uh, my wife and I have been reading this for the last year, just almost every day uh, by Paul Tripp. It's a 365-day devotional called um, New Morning Mercies. How many of you are reading this right now? I know a lot of you. Are, we've got this out there in the Resource Center. Now listen, how many of you are reading these words but down at the bottom, you're ignoring the part that says, turn to Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. Fail, fail. That is not a devotional. You're reading man's words about God's words. You haven't had any devotion to Christ until you're reading God's words. These words will help you understand those words, but it's not a devotional if you're reading some other book that wasn't written by God. 
And uh, the youth group, Tyler told me last night, this is what the youth group is going through using their devotionals right now, and this is deeper than that book in a lot of ways, and it's called The Character of God, EC365, and Tyler said if you buy the book, you get the online access and all this. Some of you as parents need to be reading this so that you can talk to your kids at the dinner table about what they're reading, and some of the 13-year-olds are going deeper in their Bible study because they got a better tool than the 43-year-olds have. Maybe you could do it together. Anybody want to go deeper? You got to have better skills, and your conscience and your discernment skills have to be trained. Here's the last thing. It says, by constant practice to discern good from evil. Do you know we live in a world that calls evil things good and good things evil? And if you swim in the river that is this culture with the current moving in that direction, if you're not going deeper into God's word, you will make the mistake of calling good things evil and evil things good. Do you remember back to the very first couple of pages of the Bible? God created Adam on the sixth day and then he created Eve from Adam and then they're in the next chapter talking to the serpent and the serpent says to them, did God really say you can't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. And that's the point at which we started questioning the accuracy and the authority of the word of God. And if you're gonna go deeper, you're gonna have to learn to sit with Jesus with an open Bible. You're gonna have to find the chair. Do you have a chair? Do you have a chair? I have a chair. It's, it's, it's like other people are allowed to sit in the chair, but it, it's the place where I go where it is where I sit with Jesus with an open Bible. I have a light, I have a pen, I make sure the ceiling fan speed is at the right temperature so that it keeps me awake, but it, it doesn't put, you know. So uh, find a place where you have a private moment where you sit with Jesus, listen, every day. I'm gonna challenge you at the end of this service right now to make a commitment. It's a commitment that I made when I was 16 years old. I'm not gonna ask you for the same commitment I made. My commitment was this. I would never let another 24-hour period of time go by without getting into God's word. I'm gonna ask you to make that commitment for the next seven days. To find a place, to establish a time, to make an appointment with Jesus. Now listen, if you say, I'll, I'll, I'll do that at the end of the day, it's not gonna happen. If you give Jesus whatever's left over, then the devil will find something to fill that space up. You probably need to establish it at the beginning of the day. Not stay up five minutes later, but get up five minutes earlier, which means the next day you need to go to bed five minutes earlier, right? And you get up and you get your Bible and you start spending time digging into God's word at a deeper level. You need a chair. That's the first way you go deeper. The second way is not just sitting with Jesus in the chair, but you've got to develop the habit of sitting with Jesus in the circle. Do you know the difference between the circle and the chair? In the circle, there's other people that showed up 
to do the same thing with you that you've committed to do. That means that now I'm gonna meet with a group of people, maybe five or maybe 10. In harvest culture, we call this a small group. If you're not in a small group, I guarantee you, you're not going as deep as you need to go. If you wanna go deeper, you can't just sit in a chair by yourself, you need to sit in a circle with other people and then hear what they're getting and what God is saying to them and let them share with you and you share with them and encourage each other and know each other and keep each other accountable for doing this together. So you gotta sit with Jesus in the chair, sit with Jesus in the circle. One more, you know what it is? Sit with Jesus in the row. Congratulations, y'all doing a wonderful job of that right now. Seriously, what are we talking about? That means we all gather together as the body that is Harvest Bible Chapel and sit under the preaching of God's word where our ears are all hearing the same message so that we can lock arms and move in the same direction toward what God is saying through his word as it is preached in the church. You wanna go deeper this year? Make the commitment. Every day, I am in the chair. Every week, I am in the circle. And every week, I am in the row. Do you know that half of the people that attend our church, sometime in a month, attend church one out of every four Sundays? So they come and sit in the row about 25% of their time. Good start. Could I invite you to go deeper? In the chair, in the circle, in the road. In the road. Did I say road? Row. In the row. Don't sit in the road. Get run over in the road. Sit in the row. You can go deeper. God's word says in Psalm 119 that his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You tired of wandering around in darkness, bumping into things? If you go deeper into God's word, God will provide the light for you to take the next step and the next step. It's like a flashlight. You can't see a few steps ahead until you take the next step. And the more you take the step, the more the light shines brighter down the path. Remember that old song, thy word is a lamp unto my feet a light into my path. Do you believe that? I believe that. Mike is going to lead us in that song. Why don't we stand together and let's acknowledge the lamp and the light that is God's word. Let's, let's let this be our prayer and our commitment.